Never articulating, hey, you're hurting me every time you do this. People have tried to do that, and you know where they end up? They end up in marriage counseling. Because if you don't love somebody enough to express to them, hey, this is not healthy, this is not good, you can stuff it for a while, right? And a lot of us have tried to do that for a while. But there comes a point where you've swept so many things under the rug that what happens? You're tripping over the rug. It's a million little things that have now become a big thing. Amen does more than just signifying the ending of a prayer. It's not that at all. Today, Pastor Daniel teaches us that it means we acknowledge that which is sure and valid. He says it's a word of human response to a divine truth or action. We learn that Jesus is the ultimate amen in the sense that he's the picture of the perfect, human, obedient response to the divine promises of God. As Christians, we should embody the essence of our statement, since we're called to be little amens after the example of Christ. It's commonly said that part of wisdom is not only understanding with depth what you do know, but it's also acknowledging an aspect that there's certain things that you don't know. How often have... We, and I feel like I have a PhD in this. Because of what you do know, you think you understand every nuance, and you don't ever take into account that there's an aspect of wisdom that says, I don't understand everything. I don't have all of it put together. Wisdom is not just knowing a lot. It's also realizing that there's certain things that I don't know a lot about, and I need to rely on somebody else's expertise, somebody else's understanding in order to do things well. And when you think about these seven letters to the seven churches that we've been studying in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it's interesting that Jesus, who died on a cross for our sins, who lived that perfect life, looks at these churches who are his own churches. They're his bride. And he loves them enough to say, look, there's certain things that you just don't understand. And so I love you enough to clue you in on what's going on. Now, each one of these churches is unique. They have unique circumstances. They have unique situations. And for each one of these churches, Jesus says, look, this is something that, I'm, that I think you're doing great in. For other churches, he's like, look, these are something that you're not excelling in. And when you think about that, Jesus loves the church enough to say, there's just certain things you just don't understand yet. And that's a powerful thing that Jesus loves us enough to not only say, yeah, they're growing, but to help us identify the areas where growth is needed. Remember last week we looked at the church in Philadelphia, and that church had it going on, right? God had opened doors for the church in Philadelphia. He's like, man, just walk through it. The church which is our seventh church, our last church, the church that we're going to look at this morning, the church in Laodicea, not so much. So turn your Bibles there. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at this last letter, verses 14 to 22. This church 
is functioning in a complete different way than the church in Philadelphia. And one of the biggest issues in the church in Laodicea, of course, is that they are spiritually blind to where they are. They don't get where they are. They have misconceptions over who they are. Now, some of you may say, well, you know, I, I mean, Jesus died. He rose again. I mean, his grace is there for us. And that's absolutely true. But we all know that our lives play out and the knobs on our side of the wall we have control over. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't just say to all these churches, look, I died for you. You're fine. He doesn't do that. You would think he might do that, right? Now, think about this in in any one of your relationships. Imagine a marital relationship, right? So you're married, right? And your spouse is not doing a good job. Is it a healthy thing for your marriage to say, hey, well, we're married. I love you. Is that healthy? Never articulating, hey, you're hurting me every time you do this. People have tried to do that. And you know where they end up? They end up in marriage counseling. Because if you don't love somebody enough to express to them, hey, this is not healthy, this is not good, you can stuff it for a while, right? And a lot of us have tried to do that for a while. But there comes a point where you've swept so many things under the rug that what happens? You're tripping over the rug. It's a million little things that have now become a big thing. And what I love about The reality of who Jesus is is that Jesus loves his church enough to say, look, I want to nip it in the bud. Because if I do not address these things in you, it's going to progress. And ultimately, it's going to come to a really rough spot. And the church in Laodicea is no different. This is a church. They've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. God's grace has been upon them. He still calls them a church. But this church is so far from where God wants her to be. And Jesus is saying, look, I love you enough to talk to you about it. And listen, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, it's the letter to the church in Laodicea, like some of the other churches. Remember when we did the the don't be dead church of Sardis? There's sometimes that as a pastor, you read things, you're like, well, if Jesus said it, then my only job is to express it. That's That's my only job. And let the chips fall where they may. But this is one of those letters to a church where Jesus, he loves the church, but the church is floundering. The church is floundering. So let's read it together. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. It says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down on my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, We've said this each time we've met in this case study series that Jesus uses a very specific checklist, a diagnostic checklist. The checklist Jesus uses is first the revelation. He's explaining himself. The reality is that God wants to reveal himself in and through his church. He wants to reflect himself to the world through the church. So first, Jesus is like, this is who I am, the revelation of who I am. Then he gets into the good. These are the things that you're doing well. Then the bad. This is where you're struggling. Then, of course, Jesus gives the challenge. He's saying, because you're struggling in these ways, I challenge you to grab hold of your destiny in me, to amend your ways, to change who you are. And then finally, there is the promise. To the person who accepts the challenge, who steps up, Jesus says, look, to the overcomer, I'm going to bless your socks off. That's how this diagnostic checklist works. Now, the church of the Laodiceans, same thing. Same checklist, although there is going to be a glaring omission. As you read it, you notice that Jesus says nothing good about the church. He doesn't even come up with something just to kind of, you know, butter them up before he lays into them. There's nothing good said about the church in the Laodicea. Now, Notice, it begins to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans right. Now, remember we told you that these seven letters made a, a gentle arch in modern-day Turkey, just like this. So now we're at the bottom, the eastern bottom portion. The Laodicea was about 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia and was literally 100 miles due east of Ephesus. So it was literally directly across, 45 miles southeast of the last church and directly across from Ephesus. Now, this was one of the great Roman cities. It became a center of industry for a number of different things. They were well known for their eye salve, which we see in the letter. It was also a, a banking city. History tells us, of course, that Cicero cast huge bank drafts in Laodicea. So the idea that they're wealthy, all these different things. And the whole discussion of water, we're going to get to that, about the hot or cold water, all of that is very culturally specific to the Laodiceans because of where they sat in between hot springs on one side and very cool water to the south. So the lukewarm water was a, a very specific cultural reference for them. Now what's interesting is that the church in Laodicea Looks like it was established by the preaching of Epaphras, which you can read about in the book of Colossians. It was a solid church for a while, but at the time of the revelation, it had gone south, as they would say. Now, in the middle of verse 14, we get the revelation. Look at what it says. These things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, when I read that, I just thought, man, Jesus is all that. And so that's how I wanted to declare that to you. Jesus is all that. And now you guys know when you say all that, it means that like Jesus is all that in a bag of chips, like he's really got it going on. But he is all that specifically as well. There's a number of characteristics of who Jesus is 
that he says here, I am this. And when was the last time you saw, man, Jesus is all that. Jesus has got it all going on. Because if there was ever a person in history who had it all going on, it was Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? I mean, people come and go on the public scene, pop culture, like, wow, this person's an it person. Jesus is all that and then some and has always been and always will be. Jesus has been the center of almost every culture. Every culture wants Jesus in their corner. So Jesus is all that. Now, if you're in here today, or maybe you're watching online, you're in another one of our venues, or someone gave you this DVD, or however you're hearing this, what good is it really to believe what someone says about Jesus and not find out about yourself? Most people's information about Jesus is secondhand, thirdhand, and oftentimes not even a very good description of who he is. But Jesus is all that. He's simultaneously praised and devalued all over the place. I mean, does a day go by in the news cycle where Jesus doesn't pop up in some way out of someone's mouth for some reason? Think about, think about that. Jesus is all that. Now, he expresses himself as these things say the amen. Now, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating way to describe himself. When we say the word amen, and I did it before, didn't I? Amen? Yeah, see that? Amen literally means so be it. It means that is a declaration of truth, that something is sure, that something has validity. So when we pray and we say, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, everyone says amen. It's like, Lord, because we prayed in Jesus' name, there's some validity and strength to that. There's some sureness to that. And Jesus is the amen. He is the perfect example of what perfect humanity looks like. You think about Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. It says this, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And if you look at it in Hebrew, it literally says the God of the amen. The God of truth is the God of the amen. So when you say amen, you're saying true that, truth. Do you guys still say true that? No? No, okay, good. We should. That's just another way of saying amen. So next time someone's praying, they say in Jesus' name, you say true that. That's what, that's what amen means. It means truth. That's true. That's sure. That's valid. Jesus says, look, I'm the truth. I'm all that. These things say the amen. Not only that, he's the faithful and true witness. This is an amplification. Jesus being faithful and true. We've been talking about faithfulness as we've been doing the seven letters of the seven churches. Listen, the Bible says even though we are faithless, what? God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Jesus is radically faithful. Now, Jesus being faithful does not mean that Jesus is going to do everything you want him to do. Because Jesus is faithful to us by being faithful to God. And our job as humans is not to say, Lord, I'm bummed out because you didn't give me these things that I thought that I deserved. But to say, Lord, I trust that your way is the right way. I trust that your open doors or shut doors, I trust you because I have a whole set of ideas of what should and shouldn't happen. And Lord, I realize that I don't know what I don't know. So I trust in your plans because Jesus is faithful and he's true. 
That word witness, of course, the faithful and true witness, it literally means in the Greek the word martyr. Because a true witness is somebody who dies to themselves and, and testifies of reality. So Jesus, of course, is the faithful and true witness. And then the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this phrase, the beginning of the creation of God, has spawned much debate because it shows up also in the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. The translation of the beginning of the creation of God is not bad, but it's also, when we think of the beginning, we think of the first in order, right? Like the beginning of the movie comes before the end of the movie. We think about it sequentially, chronologically. But the word literally means the first in rank. So it could be translated, of course, as the source or the origin of all creation. And what's interesting is using the same phrase to the church in Colossae, which was a neighbor town to the Laodiceans, there was a problem. They wanted to say Jesus was a created being. Jesus was the first in creation, the first one to be created. And so Paul goes at it, and Jesus tells the church, look, I'm the source of creation. Through me, all things were made, and without me, nothing was made that was made. That's how the Apostle John articulates it. The Apostle Paul, in the church, the letter to Colossians, articulates it the same way. Jesus is saying, look, I am the source and origin of all that's been made. Now, that's why Jesus is all that, isn't it? Think about that. He's the truth. He's a faithful and true testimony of what a perfect life lives, and he's the source and origin of everything that exists. Now, I would say that that is all that. Amen? Say true that. That's right. That's why Jesus is the man. That's why he's the man right there. All those things and a lot more, that is who this man Jesus is. And that is why people who have followed Jesus have worshipped him as the true and living God in human form since he was on the earth. And we link up with them with joy, saying, God is Jesus-like, just as Jesus is God-like. Now, from there, from the reality that Jesus is all that, look at what happens in verses 15 and 16. We jump right over the good. He gets right into the bad. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'm not going to lessen Jesus' teaching to his church here but I'll say it to you this way. Don't make Jesus puke. There, don't make Jesus puke. Now, we laugh about that, but in reality, Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea, you guys are making me sick. That's what he, I mean, this is Jesus, the, the man who lived the perfect life, who honored God at every turn, who died on the cross for all the sins of humanity. And then he looks at this church who's organizing his name. He's like, you guys are making me sick. Now, I don't know about you. I want to pasteurize this part of Jesus's personality. I think to myself, how could the son of God talk this way? I mean, isn't that a little rude? I mean, is it like workspace? I mean, seriously? I thought I'm saved by grace apart from works. Jesus stands in the church, don't make me puke. And I'm telling you, listen, don't make Jesus puke. Don't make him want to gag. 
Now, there's a reason. There's, there's a picture here. There's a picture here. Because look at what he says. There's a reason why Jesus wants to gag. He's saying, look, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. And then he says, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now listen, the city of Hierapolis was seven miles north of Laodicea, and it had famous hot springs, right? Now, these hot springs were to the north. Now, to the south was the city of Colossae, or the Colossians, and Colossae was known, of course, for great, useful cold water. Now, you can imagine if you have hot water to the north and cold water to the south, when they meet in the middle, it becomes lukewarm. Now, any of you just appreciate lukewarm water? Just like, just in principle? Okay, there's one odd folk here. I love you, bro. A, thanks for raising your hand, though. Good, good playing. By and large, most people either prefer hot or cold water. Why? Because hot water heals. Think about hot tea, coffee. We enjoy it warm, pretty warm. Cold water, of course, is refreshing. When you drink cold water, it kind of perks you up a little bit, refreshes you. But lukewarm water is not most people's preferences. And how many times have you been out, maybe you've been out working in the yard, and you put like a bottle of water or a glass of water out there, and you're working for a while, and you come back, and you're just famished, and you drink, and it's kind of warm. You're like, Pfft. right? You guys ever do that? Yeah, because you wanted the refreshment. That's exactly the picture here. The church in Laodicea was neither hot, vibrant, or cold. They weren't healing or refreshing. They were just in the middle. And Jesus literally spits them out. So he says here, I will. Notice that he doesn't say, I might. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And this is, I mean, I spent a lot of time with this this week. I've read this before, studied, I've taught this. But I'm like, man, Jesus is rough here right now. And what's fascinating and very provocative is Jesus said, I would rather you be either all in hot or all out more than I want you to be complacent and lukewarm. Now, do you realize Jesus is saying, I would rather you not even follow me than follow me in a way that is lukewarm. I spent a lot of time with that. I'm like, how can Jesus say that? And here's why I think Jesus can say that. Because there's nothing that turns off people more to Christianity than lukewarm followers of Jesus. There's nothing that makes Jesus less attractive than people who are following him who really aren't, who pull the curve a certain way as to what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus is saying, I'd rather you not even follow me than do it the way you're doing it. Now, I believe, and we're going to see it, that this is a strong word for us today because it's very easy in our culture where it costs us nothing to follow Jesus to be this type of a Christian. Everything in our culture pulls us, pulls us from being hot for Christ to being lukewarm. Because it's easier in our culture to be kind of, you know, be Christian on Sunday and be nothing during the week. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel taught that one of the biggest problems we have is that we are spiritually blind to where we stand and have misconceptions of who we are. We've ignored the condition of our spiritual heart too long 
And if we don't take action, it'll be too late. Remember, we're useless to Christ when we're complacent, self-satisfied, and indifferent to the real issues of faith in Him and our potential effect on the world. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel helps us understand who we really are. He'll do this by having us compare ourselves to the spiritual condition of the Laodicean church. They had allowed the sinful influence of the surrounding culture to creep into the congregation, paralyzing their spiritual life. They chose to ignore the fact that they had a problem because they were comfortable in their complacency. Sound familiar? Tune in to hear more. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through the book of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.